The objective, to deliver the NBA to you like no other. News, play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here. Fired by straight shooters. S and gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. We will get to the conversation with Lauren and I in a second, but I just wanted to let you guys know that we recorded this episode of the podcast before the hiring of Ime Odoka as the Houston Rockets head coach for next season. Um, I just want to do a quick couple of minutes on Udoka, the hiring, what the implications are. Obviously, the Houston Rockets, they let go of Steven Silas uh, at the end of this season, um, you know, citing a change. They wanted to change the culture around the Houston Rockets and, and maybe potentially bring in a coach that can do that. Now, the challenge with that is Udoka has a checkered pass, obviously was let go of his job from the Boston Celtics because of an inappropriate relationship with a work, you know, a workplace inappropriate relationship. There's uh, There were reports of harassment there as well. So there's tons of moral implications when it comes to hiring Udoka and making him a head coach. Now those moral implications as they do the press conference, as they do their investigations, which I'm sure they quote unquote will have, um, we will see how that transpires throughout this offseason because I'm sure they're going to be doing a press conference introducing Udoka as the next Rockets head coach and we'll see how things transpire. We'll see how he answers, to be honest with you. I think a lot of people will be asking about you know, how the Celtics situation transpired, what came of it. They're going to be asking his perspective, obviously. And uh, you know, a, a situation of this circumstance when a coach has a past that has to do with uh, potentially harassment in the workplace, potentially an inappropriate relationship in the workplace as well, then I think those questions are very, very important to ask. Uh, and obviously, the journalists in Houston, the reporters in Houston will have to do their due, dil- due diligence and ask those questions because they're the important ones to ask. We'll see what happens when it comes to the Toronto Raptors, however, because, well, he was he was apparently the lead candidate to be the Raptors head coach for next season. Uh, Nick, Nick Nurse was also the lead candidate to be the Rockets head coach for next season, at least from what was reported. So we'll see how it transpires. I'm very curious to see where Nick Nurse lands because there's there's obviously rumors about, you know, where he'll end up. But I I think I've, I've tweeted this out as well. I would be shocked if Nick Nurse isn't a head coach next season. Now, stranger things have happened, but I would be shocked because he's one of the most sought out coaches in the NBA. Even if there isn't an open spot, I'd imagine a team lets go of a coach just to be able to hire him. That's how uh, sought after Nick Nurse is as a head coach. So we'll see what happens with Nurse. As far as the Raptors, um, you know, we Samson and I on Friday on the podcast listed a litany of options that they could potentially go after. There's the Patrick Matumbos of the world, the Earl Watsons, the, you know, JAMA. You can, anybody from the Raptors past, if you will, they can try to reincorporate those or maybe seek uh, seek an external hire. But we'll see what happens. Just wanted to do a couple of minutes on Udoka, what the implications might be, you know, the moral implications as well, obviously a very crucial part of this. So for now, we'll see what happens. We'll see what transpires. And now my conversation with Lauren, on the rest of the NBA playoffs. Enjoy. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. We are relaxing here on a Monday uh, afternoon, waiting for the NBA games to start. 
uh, waiting for some of the craziness of the weekend to be digested. It was it was a wild, wild NBA weekend. Um, it started off with Nick Nurse getting fired. We already talked about that on the pod last weekend. Uh, I know, Lauren, I mean, if you want to get your thoughts on it, you can totally do so. But, you know, we talked about it in depth on Friday mm-hmm. uh, with Samson Folk. You guys should go and listen to that podcast. But on the other fronts of things, man, it was a great weekend of basketball. Just a lot, a lot of great basketball stuff that happened with the NBA playoffs. And since we haven't talked about the playoffs in a little bit, uh, because of the nurse uh, firing, if you will. Let's get into it. Let's talk about what happened over the weekend. Where would you like to start, Lauren? Because there's uh, there, there's there's a couple ways we can tackle this. I guess the one thing I would bring up before we start is that in tonight's game, I believe it's tonight that they play, Giannis Antetokounmpo is going to be back. He's ready, ready to roll, ready to rock and roll. Um, and he's going to be playing. The, the Heat are up 2-1 to one in the series. So... It's not too crazy of a deficit. I think the Bucks. We we said this on the pod last week, but I still feel confident in Milwaukee finishing this out, even with a limited Giannis. Um, and we'll see. We'll see how he looks. I, I I mean, back injuries are always weird, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've talked about the back injury a bit on here already, and and but I do think that they find themselves in a really interesting place uh the 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 milwaukee bucks specifically being down uh down a game uh and so i i'm curious to see how they bounce back uh the trickiness of a back injury sometimes it's not as oh you're back 100 percent you're either in or you're out zero or 100 percent so i'm curious to see how he looks what his mobility looks like his explosiveness because he is Giannis. um so i'm i'm curious to see just how they, how maybe the game plan even changes in terms of obviously it's the playoffs and they're down, so there is no, no minutes restriction in, in yeah. this in this scenario. But I am curious to see how things look, um, and really just, I mean, we've also talked about Brook Lopez and his impact um, on here a lot. Uh, so I'm curious to see how much if if they're maybe a little bit more reliant on certain guys to kind of help come over or help defensively or just help minimize certain situations with Giannis where he could potentially re-injure or worsen that injury. Um, And I'm curious to see how that affects their overall game plan. And and if Miami finds themselves in a position where they can maximize on the shift in game plan, if it on the fly, because I do think it's going to be something on the fly. Uh, And I'm curious to see what it looks like, because while I do still feel confident in Milwaukee, um, it is interesting to see to, when you're betting against a team like Jimmy Butler uh, or that has a guy like Jimmy Butler. So yeah. we'll see what, what happens if uh, if Miami steals another. I, I It's about to get real interesting. Well, if they win, see, that's that. this is the thing. And uh, I, I sort of said the same thing last night, yesterday, with the Warriors and Kings game. I'm like, mm-hmm. look, if, if, if the Warriors somehow win this game, they're winning the series. And I, I'm still pretty confident in that. I think the Dubs end up winning the rest of this series. Love what Sacramento has done this season, but it just feels like that was the game that was going to decide whether the Kings were going to go up 3-1 and then eventually win at least one of their next games or 2-2. Now it's a blank slate series, and we'll see what happens from here. Right. Miami is in a similar position because now Giannis is coming back, and even if he's at 50%, 60%, 70%, whatever it is, it's still going to factor into how well these Bucks play. Everything around the Bucks is centered around Giannis. Uh, and you mentioned this, like with the physicality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a huge factor because this isn't this isn't Kevin Durant, right? <laughs> right. Giannis Giannis is a guy who is so physically imposing. 
He is uh, he's using his body consistently. He is be- kind of beating de- beating people up in the paint consistently. And I think that's a big issue when it comes to a back problem because mm-hmm. if your back is in 100% and you're out there, you're trying to post up, you're trying to like – you know how we, – we know how Giannis does. He's a battering ram, right? Giannis right. is a guy who likes to plow through people in order to get, get to the rim. How are you going to be able to do that at 60 70%? I think that's a great question. And Miami has a great opportunity tonight because it's the first night back for Giannis. He's – uh, you know, you mentioned the lim- minutes restrictions. I would probably bet Giannis has a minute restriction today. I imagine they're going to try to keep him at like 25, maybe 30 minutes, and then not try to push it any more than that. And because of that, Miami has a huge opportunity. They end up 3-1 in the series, and now you have three games left to just get one, right? Pressure. Just get one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I think we'll see what happens. It, yeah, this week, it's I, – I don't – this this is one that I don't want to be too quick to say. Oh, Milwaukee's going to be just fine. Like I I I do I do I want to say stay with that that I do feel confident that they will pull this out. I think that they have yeah. uh, still all of the things in their favor that we mentioned at the beginning of the series, even when Tyler Hero, all of those things. But tonight really could be a pivotal uh, point, and not just the series, but also the rest of the playoffs. Kind of going back to our last episode that we recorded together. Um, where you do have those pivotal moments and it does change the trajectory of the, the future rounds and, and the, just how everything shifts moving forward. So yeah. I'll be really interested to see how Miami comes out of the gate tonight and how they set the tone. Also, uh, if, if Miami ends up winning the series, we're, we're due for a Miami versus the New York Knicks. Uh, the, uh, this was the team that ended up going 3-1. and one. Uh, They beat the Cavaliers in MSG. They, they beat them twice in MSG and they won game four, 102 93. The, the, the final score was much closer than what the game felt like. Yes. The Cavs fought back in the second half, but New York was well within control. Pretty much that entire game. Uh, Jalen Brunson was phenomenal. Mitchell Robinson on the glass. Ah, man, I'm so mad at myself because (laughs) I thought the star power, the shot creation of Donovan Mitchell would be enough for the Cavaliers to do what they needed to and win this series. Mm -hmm. But I, I severely underestimated the depth issues Mm -hmm. and I severely underestimated the young experience issues, which is, Mm -hmm. which is clear as days. Darius Garland has not been good in this series. He's had a couple of good games, had a good second half in game four versus the uh, versus the Knicks, but he hasn't been consistent. Evan Mobley uh, has been very, very inconsistent. And then you have Jared Allen, who's been on and off as well. They haven't been able to get enough from their supporting cast, and they also haven't been able to find solutions because they don't have the depth, the reliable depth necessary to help Donovan Mitchell. And it doesn't matter because, you know, Donovan Mitchell, he had a horrible night last night. (laughs) I think he went like two of, let me double check here. He went five of 18, okay? So Mitchell was due for an off game because he was incredible for the first three games of the series. And even with him having a dud, the Cavs supporting cast couldn't back him up. He could, They really couldn't figure things out for him. Yes, Garland had a good second half, but it just didn't work out. And the New York Knicks are one win away from winning their first series since 2013. 2013. Do you want me to pull up that 2013 Knicks team just so you oh, are reminded? Lord. Yeah, pull that what? pull that team up. I you know, I, I I'm glad you mentioned the depth issues and the young inexperience because 
I, I, I wouldn't say that I was concerned about New York's depth, but I, I going into this series, I was concerned about the youth. I was concerned that maybe Mitchell Robinson would take a step back in terms of, in terms of engagement or just inconsistent, be inconsistent. I was concerned that RJ Barrett could have some inconsistent nights and inconsistent game, games, and that would be present a huge problem for the Knicks. Um, and I was, I was concerned that their rotation would shrink or, or maybe change significantly enough to where it might throw things off a bit for them and they would have to make adjustments on the fly. That was just going to present too many questions for the Knicks to, to overcome a team that has a Donovan Mitchell at the, at the head of the snake and then a Darius right. Garland. And, and I, I, for those reasons, that's why I felt uh, confident with Cleveland Um but I never, I didn't necessarily think about, I think I, I definitely overlooked Cleveland's depth and, and where they find themselves now. I think I maybe even expected a little bit more from their starting lineup in terms of yep. consistency. And so it's been very interesting to see this, this hungry team uh, in New York just come out and fight every night and, and find themselves in this position now to where it, it looks like they're, they're ready to take anybody on. I, I'm not sure yep. how it will go, you know, moving forward, but they are a really interesting team and, and kind of going back to what we've said on here about the offensive rebounding and what they continue to show every single night. It's been pretty impressive. So I, I can't really count them out either. I will say um, it is, it is wild to me that the rotating cast of wing players, the Cavs have between Seti Osman, Karis LeVert and Isaac Okoro just hasn't been able to do anything of much. And the, mm -hmm. the reason is because, one of those guys is sufficient in one thing, and one of those guys is sufficient in the other, and then one of them is sort of a middle ground, and that middle ground isn't good enough to cover up what the Cavs need. What I mean is Seti Osman is a great offensive player. He can shoot. He can space the floor for you. Uh, Karis LeVert is kind of an in-between guy. He's not the greatest defender. He's not a good defender. He's not a bad defender either, though, like Seti Osman, but he can shoot for you. He can create a little bit. And then Isaac Okoro is a complete negative offensively. He can't really shoot, but defensively he has the the ability to to you know defend at a high level. I just I wonder if that rotating cast has been their biggest kind of Achilles heel, if you right. will. But I wanted to go back to that 2013 yes, Knicks roster. Yes, let's hear okay. it. Carmelo Anthony, obviously, right? Uh, he was averaging 40, point, 40 minutes a game in the playoffs in order for them to grind one out. 28 points on 40% shooting. Jesus. Uh, Raymond Felton was their starting point guard. He was averaging 38 minutes a game. Raymond Felton. Uh, J.R. Smith, for those who don't remember. Tyson Chandler. Iman Shumpert. Mm -hmm. uh, Kenyon Martin. Pablo Prigioni and Jason Kidd. And then they had Amari Stoudemire, but I, I believe Stack got hurt. Uh, in the playoffs from what I remember. Um, yeah, that's crazy. So, yeah, that is the last Knicks team to make it to the second round of the NBA playoffs. Uh, it's just crazy to me that, like, you know, here, we're here 10 years later, literally 10 years later, yeah. and this team is about to about to do the same. I think they – I don't know if they close it out uh, on Tuesday in Cleveland. Maybe the Cavs uh, force the issue. I feel like the Cavs are a good enough team to keep this series a lot – Yeah. excuse me, alive a little bit longer. But it's it's sort of it's implied that Cleveland is going to be, you know, oust, if you yeah. will. And and the Knicks are going to move on. We'll probably talk about the Knicks in, in more length uh, moving forward. The Cavs, you know, I don't want to I don't want to completely eulogize them because the series isn't over yet. Right. Uh, there is a team that has been eliminated from the playoffs where we can eulogize a little bit. 
The Brooklyn Nets were the first team to get eliminated, will be the only team in the first round of the playoffs that will have been swept. Uh, they have they were swept by the Philadelphia 76ers in game four without Joel Embiid, who is dealing with an MCL sprain. It seems like clockwork that that happens around every time this season. It's very unfortunate. Hopefully for the Philadelphia Boston series, Embiid is fully healthy because we need to see that. I would love yeah. to see that. It wouldn't be fun if it was just Boston versus you know Harden and Maxi trying to figure things out. It just wouldn't look as good. It wouldn't be as entertaining. But the Brooklyn Nets, their season is over. A wild season. If you think of of what the October Brooklyn Nets were <laughs> compared to today, uh, what a wild season. I mean, yeah. you, you don't have Kevin Durant. You don't have the Kyrie Irving. You don't have the James Harden, obviously. But it's just – it's done. That, that era is over. They have started anew. Mikhail Bridges is their guy. They have guys like Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal. Cam Johnson is a guy they're probably going to have to pay this summer. Mm-hmm. But – they have a nucleus. Nick Claxton, obviously, that I mentioned. They have this interesting young nucleus, and they have some picks that they can work with from that Phoenix trade moving forward. What is your, I guess, expectations from this Nets team moving forward into the offseason? What do you think they end up doing? Damian Lillard was hanging out with them. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what you want to make of that. Sure. Dot dot dot. But what do you what do you think of that? Yeah, it's it's intriguing because they they are a really interesting group with this versatile nucleus that that you mentioned and and they're they've established this this defensive identity. And so I'm curious to see if they try and continue to develop it and maybe even organically continue to develop in terms of roster like roster construction by adding through the draft. I'm curious to see if they go that direction or if they do try to aggressively get on a this the Damian Lillard let's just let's just jump there I'm sure that's why some people yeah. might be even tuning in um the Damian Lillard of it all I think if he becomes available Brooklyn would be a very interesting destination because mm. they have the defensive versatility because he would be playing with I I mean I assume that that deal gets if it gets done, Mikhail Bridges wouldn't would be an untouchable in that deal. In my yeah. mind, if you can get Kevin Durant without including DeAndre Ayton, you can get Damian Lillard without including Mikhail Bridges. So I do feel like you add Mikhail Bridges or Damian Lillard to a Mikhail Bridges led nucleus. I think that those two provide a really interesting duo. Um, obviously, the age is 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 pretty the the gap is significant, but I I think it would be a, an interesting destination for Damian Lillard because this would be his first opportunity to play with a group that is has length and is de- has defense and is versatile. Um, I think that that would be really interesting. The thing that I kind of hiccup that I hold up on that whole conversation is: can you get that deal done? without then including Nick Claxton. And at that point, I, it's very hard for me to see Portland being okay with, when I was playing with the numbers, a package of Cam Johnson, Cam Thomas, a bunch of picks. Because they have, I I looked at it, I believe it was 10 tradable picks, looking excluding some of their picks yeah. with the Stepien rule. 10 tradable picks. Um, and then, wait for it, but Ben Simmons, the contract filler, would be Ben Simmons. And so right. is that something that Portland has interest in? I don't know. I, I do think that there's a chance that there's a, a package out there that beats that, but Cam Johnson is really intriguing. Um, and if you're Brooklyn, are you okay with a deal that would, if, if they required Nick Claxton to be a part of that deal? Because then you add Damian Lillard, well, if you don't have the defensive-minded big, what what do you really expect to come from that? So I think that that's going to kind of be the pivot, or not pivotal, but kind of the the determining factor of if this deal gets done because if I'm Portland 
I want Nick Claxton. I want Cam Johnson and I want Nick Claxton. But I think if you're Brooklyn, I don't know that you can, you can come to terms with that. Uh, But I think moving Cam Thomas and Cam Johnson, I think that there's a real opportunity to kind of move forward with that. So I'm intrigued to see if that happens. But I do think as of right now, the most likely situation is that they continue to develop um, with this group that has already shown significant potential. Um, And if things kind of pop up along the way to go out and make a move, maybe it's not something as flashy as a Damian Lillard or even another big name. But if it's continuing to add to this nucleus, uh, I think that that would be a, a good path for them for sure. I just I, like so it's very interesting to see what will happen with Damian Lillard and the value around Damian Lillard. Yeah, uh, you know we've mentioned this in the past with other stars, but the value of a player to their current team is always going to outweigh the value of a player to whatever team that is trying to acquire them. The mm-hmm. reason for that is like if you were to gut Damian Lillard from the Portland Trailblazers. They are lost in the wind in the sense that they are directionless now. They, they have to find out who that new identity is, who's that player they're building around, how are they rebuilding. Yeah, they would be going into a full-blown rebuild that way. But the question is how, and and how do you make it worthwhile? What are the things that would make it worthwhile for the Portland Trailblazers? On the other side of things, you look at Damian Lillard and his contract coming up. I mean, he was owed forty. He was owed forty-two million dollars this year. He's going to be making forty-five million dollars next year. Forty-eight million dollars the year after that. Fifty-eight million dollars in twenty twenty-five, twenty twenty-six as a thirty-five-year-old, and twenty. Sorry, in twenty twenty-six, twenty twenty-seven, when he is thirty-six year old, thirty-six years old, he will be making sixty-three million dollars. That is insane. Uh, I love Dame. I love what he brings. I, I know how important he is to Portland and, and the Trailblazers organization. But I think the contract is something you have to consider. Mm-hmm. And when a team is like you mentioned Brooklyn, I personally, if I'm if I'm Portland right now, I'm like, I'm not taking that deal. I'll yeah. find a better I'll find a better deal for for Damian Lillard. That's fine. Uh, and I think there are inevitably better deals out there for Dame. I think of a team like New Orleans who could desperately use the pull-up shooting and the creation. And it's funny because if you were to put Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum back on the same team together, but um, (laughs) that'd be awesome. Actually, I just just think of I just think of a team like that who would who has the assets, who has the things to go after him if they want to. Let's say they want to include a Herb Jones or a Trey Murphy the third or something along the lines of that to sweeten the deal. I think that would make a lot of sense. Now, back to Brooklyn. I do think they can do something. Yeah. Maybe not Dame, but I do think they're in position to go out and chase that next star. And now you can kind of, you, you look back at your nucleus and you say, okay, we have Mikhail Bridges who can be maybe our second or third fiddle. We have Nick Claxton, which is the rim protecting big man that, you know, can, can be there for like a, a potential playoff run. And we have this nucleus of like veteran players that we also trust. I think the Nets can be in play for one of these stars moving forward. Maybe it's a Trey Young, maybe it's a, a it's something else, whatever. Mm-hmm. Maybe Dame, but I think it would be interesting. Yeah, to look at it from the other perspective, the Blazers' perspective, if you will. I don't think because some some Blazers fans probably say, "Oh, why why wouldn't we go for Mikael Bridges?" I could see that, but I don't know if Brooklyn would do it. Brooklyn rejected yeah. four first round picks at the trade deadline for Mikhail Bridges, what is the asking price now that he looks like a potential perennial all-star? Yeah. How, right. So it would uh, probably yeah. be like shade and sharp. It would be multiple picks. It would be futures. It would be whatever your lottery pick is this year. And I, I don't know. I think that's, I, that's tough to do. 
Yeah, I think that's where the real, that's where to me the dominoes will start to fall because for me, my my personal opinion is that Mikhail Bridges is now untouchable. I don't see a world in which they even consider moving him in, in this current time period. Um, with Portland specifically, and you're looking at, okay, now's the time to push the chips in. You have yet another pick. You have Shaden Sharp. You have Anthony Simons. You've got all of these guys what can you go out and put a package together for? What can you go do? And and as I look around the league at current available people or people that could even come available that are reasonably attainable for Portland, it's not an easy list to come to to come up with. I mean, that fit that fit what Portland would need, that fits something that could actually help them make, you know, make a run. It's not I, I don't even know that there are a ton of names that immediately pop up. It just it's a I don't know if it's a bad time. I don't know if it's their current roster construction, but I you look at a team like the Bulls that if the Bulls have go into this offseason with big questions, okay, well is Portland now in a position where okay, well yeah, let let me go try and get someone like Demar or Zach Levine or if, if that button gets pushed over in Chicago, I just I'm having trouble seeing Portland being in a position to go make a full-on bid for someone like a Trey. I mean, Trey Young is, a, is probably the worst fit with Damian Lillard, but yeah. someone that comes available at that status, whether it be like a Carl Anthony Towns or even like a Bradley Beal. I don't think either of those guys in the, in like right around the corner are necessarily going to be available, but that tier of player, I don't think Portland is necessarily in play for those players. And so then you're looking at the next tier down. And at that point, is that really something that you want to try and try and push forward. I mean, maybe if you have that conversation with Dame and that's that's what they want to do, the path they choose to, to pursue, then maybe, and that's fine, but you're going to ultimately end up paying a lot of money for, for what, you know what I mean? You're, you're, if you're kind of pushing out, pushing down the lot, kicking the can down the line on the, you know, NBA organization life cycle, you have the guys right now, you have the draft picks, you have the young, intriguing guys. So are you going to give all of that up to go get a fringe all-star player only to then find yourself in that position again, where you're trying to go find those guys through the draft. You know what I mean? So that is where I have big questions in Portland and why I think the Damian Lillard conversation is a much more relevant one than just, Oh, here we are again, Damian Lillard popping up in the news. I do think that they have big questions that need answers. Yeah. And, and Dame made that clear uh, at yeah. the press conference that like, yeah, something needs to happen this summer and something they, they will have conversations. They will have numerous conversations. We got into a, a very Portland Trailblazers ass conversation right now, but let's get back to it, ladies and gentlemen, because mm-hmm. it is playoff time. Okay. It mm-hmm. is the NBA playoffs. And I don't know why my mouse isn't working here. It is the playoff time. There we go. Get in the game and make your next bet with sports interaction bets before the game or live in play on all your favorite teams, matchups, maybe the Los Angeles Lakers making the NBA finals, hot, dot, 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 wink, wink, uh, head to sportsinteractioncom slash SDPN or download the app to get started. 19 plus please play responsibly okay so i mentioned the lakers just now uh we we can talk a little bit of western conference playoff basketball the warriors and kings situation is great do you feel uh it's 2-2 now Mm -hmm. draymond is back he played some incredible defense the kings uh had a chance there at the end harrison barnes missed it yes we know harrison barnes's history with the warriors tough yes completely (laughs) understand but what do you think you think it's it's Warriors or are you leaning Kings? Kings got two home games. The Warriors suck it uh, on the road. 
Yeah. How are you feeling on that? I I still am 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 feeling decent about. I mean, reasonably confident with my Kings and seven. I think whoever okay. is home is going to continue to carry the momentum. I think whoever yeah. is away really has an uphill battle to overcome. Uh, and I, I think that this is going to be as odd as this may sound. If you know, looking looking to the next series, if the Sacramento comes out of the series and is playing the Lakers, I actually think that this current this current battle against the Warriors could potentially present them with a, a, a more difficult test than maybe the Lakers matchup will. So yeah. I think if the Kings can take this one all the way to seven and win at home, I think that that will be a huge kind of stepping stone and milestone for them to overcome and give them a lot of confidence moving forward. Um, and because they will have that game seven at home, if it, if it goes there, um, I, I do feel confident in them. I agree. I, I agree in the sense that you should feel confident in them. I think the Kings have showed throughout the series that they are not just some fun, we're happy to be here yeah. team, and that they're completely ready to compete. I think, you know, it's funny, uh, in the uh, in the regular season, the DeMontis Sabonis-Kevin Herter dribble handoff play, that was their bread and butter. I think it was one of the highest points per possession plays in NBA history over the last like 10, 15 years. It was it was generating insane amounts of points for the Sacramento Kings. Herter has been awful in this series. Sabonis hasn't been as great in this series as well. They have completely been able they haven't been able to go to their number one option play. Mm-hmm. And I say that to say they have still found a way to be successful in this series. De'Aaron Fox has been incredible. They found uh they found help from Malik Monk, who's also been incredible in a couple of games in this series. And last night, Keegan Murray was awesome. I mean, they finally got him to shoot the ball well. He's he's doing well in terms of uh, like his confidence for a rookie and a guy who's being thrusted into this moment to be able to go off against the Warriors on the road. That's huge. And you can kind of relay that into game five. Now you're at home. Now the momentum is back. Keegan Murray is shooting better. Okay, the the, the Kings in general are shooting better. So maybe there's a chance. Mm-hmm. I don't hate that argument. I just think the Dubs have now figured out how to beat this Kings team. Yeah. And they did that in game four. Uh, I thought they, they did a lot of great stuff to get Sabonis out of actions. And Sabonis was okay, but... They're they're making it so that Sabonis has to be a playmaker and sorry has to be a scorer and ha- and that's just not his best quality. Right, he's not as aggressive of a scorer. If he ends up being an aggressive scorer, if he can get you twenty five, thirty five, if he can go downhill, get into the paint and finish against Draymond and Looney, then more power to him. The Kings will win the series, but they are forcing him to be that player, and I just don't know if that's going to happen in this series. I think that's going to be really key moving forward. Getting uh, getting contributions from Herter and Monk and and Murray are going to be huge too. I still feel confident that the Dubs are going to win in six, though. Yeah, six, not even seven. Six. I think, I think yeah, I, I think the Dubs win the next two. Interesting. I, yeah, I just I think I think they have them figured out. The Dubs they yeah. have this thing. They did it against Boston in the NBA Finals too, where it's like they kind of need a couple games now to figure out who they're playing and how they have to win. But then afterwards, it's like. Oh, we've done this before. Yeah. And and they just kind of get into it. You know, they get into their rhythm and hard to stop. It is hard to stop. Um, the Lakers and the Grizzlies, they play tonight. That was a wild game three, but John Morant, you know, came back and he looked incredible in the second half. Um, he finished with 45 points. I mean, he was he was legitimately incredible in game three. How do you feel 
what is your confidence level on Lakers Grizzlies? And I will say, I was talking to producer Drew earlier that the Lakers are pretty good odds to make the NBA finals. <laughs> uh, they're not that crazy of odds to make the NBA finals. So uh, do you feel as if the Lakers have control of this series or do you think the Grizzlies can still win this one? Oh, I think the Grizzlies can still win it, but I do feel like the Lakers are in control right now. I think that they are in, I think they feel confident with the spot that they're, that they're in. Um, having the opportunity to go up three, one tonight when you're playing at home is, is huge. It's absolutely huge. As opposed to having the series even up and then you're going back to Memphis there. Those are completely different, um, much bigger, just drastically different situations. And so I think the Lakers given the experience, I do think that tonight they're in a position to go out and, and they know what they need to do. And so right now I do feel that they're in control. I feel confident in them as crazy as it is to say, uh, mm. but Memphis again, young feisty team with what we've been saying all year. I don't, you can't count them out, but I do. I, 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 I always tend to, to lean experience and, and I don't even want to say continuity because this Lakers team, I mean, we've, we've, we've seen it all year long, but I do think that they're, they're in a position to go out there and, and, and find themselves up three, one going back to Memphis. Yeah. I think, I think there is a confidence level in what they can do. And really it all depends on Anthony Davis. Uh, he had an incredible game one, an incredible game three, and they pulled out wins. He had a dud in game two. He didn't play well. And the Grizzlies handled that even without John Morant in the lineup. I think it all goes back to how aggressive they can make him. And realistically, if you think about this Lakers tenure that Davis has had in general with LeBron, it's always been how can Anthony Davis be the best player for this team? If Anthony Davis is the best player for this team, then they are a championship contender. It's crazy to say because in 2020, um, you know, obviously, they look, obviously they have LeBron James. They have the greatest, you know, the, arguably the greatest player of all time. But for this specific team to be successful, it's been very evident that Anthony Davis needs to be their best player, that mm-hmm. everything needs to run through Anthony Davis, both offensively, both defensively. I mean, defensively, he's been incredible throughout this series, but offensively, getting him involved, getting him paint touches, getting him easy looks inside in the in the interior. That's going to be key mo- moving forward in the series. And without Steven Adams, without Brandon Clark for the Grizzlies, I think that's the big key. Uh, We'll see what happens, though. I don't want to talk too much about that series because obviously it's happening tonight and maybe we look like idiots after this and (laughs) and the Grizzlies are like 2-2. They look good. They're going back home. It's tough. Who knows? It's tough. Um, So I want to move on into other teams that we can potentially like semi-eulogize. We sort of already eulogized the Cavaliers and just been like, okay, we'll see what happens in the future. They have these clear flaws. They will probably look to address them in the summer. There's two other teams, though, uh, that are going to be eliminated this week. (laughs) I'm sorry to say that, but in all likelihood, unless there's a crazy, miraculous comeback, both of these teams will be eliminated this week. That is the Los Angeles Clippers and the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, The Hawks are facing the Celtics on Tuesday, and I believe the Clippers are facing the Suns on Tuesday as well. Both of those teams are facing elimination on the road. Uh, I don't know if I'm confident in any of those teams keeping the series alive, especially with the, you know, in the Clippers situation, the injuries to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And then in the Hawks situation, I I just think they're every, every, like the Hawks. And I was watching the Hawks Celtics game yesterday. The Celtics were just playing with their food or Mm -hmm. as Doc Rivers says, playing with their meat. And it was... (laughs) 
<laughs> that was I, ins- I saw that. I was like, really? Insane anyway. comment. Um, insane. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so the Hawks uh, and the Celtics, the Celtics were just messing around the entire game. Every time it was just like, oh, you know, the Hawks are catching up. We'll 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 finish them off in a sec. It's fine. You know, mm-hmm. they're like, just keep it on the stove. Let it simmer <laughs> on low heat and we'll be OK. Um, I, I just think the Hawks are outmanned in this Mm -hmm. the Celtics have superior depth they can hit you in multiple ways the Celtics are the better team better defensively better shooting better offensively essentially everything and it's probably over now looking forward and looking into the offseason there's obviously questions about Trey Young Mm -hmm. there's obviously questions about what happens with this Hawks future what do you think we see from Atlanta in the offseason because they're probably toasting on Tuesday and we'll have to eulogize them anyway so why not eulogize them now yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah. Why wait? Why wait? Right. Uh, <laughs> with, with this team, I think the manner in which they're probably going to, to go out really, especially going up against a true contender in the Boston Celtics really shows them where they're at. It really shows them where they're at when you're, you're match. I don't want to say matching up against the entire Eastern conference. Cause it's just, you know, you're one and done, but to be manhandled by a true contender really is kind of a wake-up call. To me, presents a wake-up call. And so I'm not going to be surprised when we see the John Collins, the the same headline that we've seen a million times. Hawks are entertaining John Collins and or engaging in train to, trade talks surrounding John yeah, he's Collins. The, he's the new Miles Turner. In he is. Tra- he yeah. is the new Miles Turner. And but realistically, what are you going to get? What what if you're going to try and retool? If you're going to go in and have the the mindset of, uh, actually, let me rewind. It all comes down to Trey Young and how aggressive he wants to be, whether or not he wants to leave or not. I'm not yeah. saying it's a done deal that getting manhandled by the Boston Celtics is what's going to open the door and and send him packing. I don't think that that is 100% the case, but I do think that on the drop of a dime, if he says, you know what, I'm out, I'm looking at this team, I'm looking at it's the same thing pretty much every year, even with DeJounte Murray did not have the impact that I was expecting it to have. So I, I'm out, you know, I'm out. And, and, and if that happens, then that completely changes everything, obviously. But if he isn't super aggressive and forthcoming with the, this idea of relocating, then I don't think Atlanta is necessarily going to push that envelope. And so you got to make some sort of change looking at the current roster. And what does that look like? I actually really liked the Sadiq Bay pickup. I thought that was a really solid move for them. And he's been good for them too. He has been good. But again, you're now looking at this roster and, it's crazy because I actually like the roster, but they just they on when it when it comes time to to put your money where your mouth is, they can't do it. And so, yeah. where do you start? Um, and I think you have to start with John Collins if you're not going to move on from Trey Young. But everyone has been following that situation. We just got done talking about the internal value versus the uh, external value and what you can get back in a trade. And I just don't know that it's going to be super, super high for in a John Collins deal, especially considering that he's still very early on in his contract for yeah. some teams that might get you something, but I don't know that it's going to be enough to really tr- change something for the Atlanta Hawks. And so again, if you're then looking forward, okay, say we trade John Collins, say we get someone back who is similar in talent to John Collins, does that change your formula enough to where your result next season is that much different than the one this season? And I think the the, the answer to that question is no. The, the, the difference in result is not going to be drastic enough to keep Trey Young around. And so my question is, Trey Young, are you looking that far ahead where you can kind of see the writing on the wall that there isn't a path to significantly improve in the near future 
And is that enough today? I'm sorry, mm-hmm. in a week to right. say I'm out. That's yeah. my question. I would be very interested to see what Trey Young's value is on the open market because it doesn't seem like, at least from players, you know, there was that player vote uh, of who's the most overrated player in the NBA. <laughs> there was the there was the All Star discussion. I remember we did the All Star uh, selections and we saw that the players didn't vote for Trey Young uh, very heavily. Uh, I very I'm I'm just wary about like where people stand on Trey mm-hmm. and what he is moving forward in the future. You know, right now he's he's touted as this number one option for the Hawks. He is the centerpiece for all that they're building. I I'm curious to see what happens moving forward and what they're trying to do because it just doesn't seem like he he himself is enough to be a championship level to to build a championship level team. I mean, there's only you can count on one hand the amount of players that are that type of player. Um, and I just you need to have such incredible. A, a great supporting cast, uh, like you need all-star level players around him to make this function. A lot mm-hmm. of people like to bring up like the Steph comparisons, and I think that's ultimately incredibly unfair because Steph is one of the greatest off-ball movers in NBA history, and Trey is like the opposite of that. And Steph, despite being smaller, actually tries on defense versus Trey Young just does not try on defense despite being, you know, obviously undersized. Uh, you mentioned John Collins. He has three years and $80 million left on his deal. Uh, that final year is a player option worth $26 million. I don't know whether he opts in or out. He probably opts in depending on you know how he looks right now and what the market looks like in a couple of years. But he does seem like the odd man out if they are looking to make a trade. He seems like the person that they could trade to, to move some pieces around and, and maybe add some more depth. But the Hawks have depth. Like they have interesting pay, p- pieces. They have... You know, A.J. Griffin, who's a young rookie. Jalen Johnson, who's a second-year player. They have Onyeka Okongwu, who's this up-and-coming big man. You, They added Sadiq Bey, as you mentioned. They have Bogdan Bogdanovich. Like, these are guys that if we're traded today, would demand, like, they would be they would be of interest to other yeah. teams. Other teams would want them. So why is this recipe not working? You have to look inward, inward at your stars, at the guys that you were building around. And I think that tough discussion will happen around Trey Young this summer. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. I agree. And, and and before one quick thing I do want to say on Trey Young, if he becomes available, there are really only three teams that I can see realistically putting a package together that is the top of the market, the top of the market, but that is also competitive with each other. Mm-hmm. And those three teams are the Orlando Magic, uh, the Houston Rockets, and the New Orleans Pelicans. Everyone else, yeah, I don't necessarily see having the picks. I don't see them having the combination of young picks and young players and the current win now players that could try and I don't see them, the timeline, the age, I don't see it necessarily being a a perfect swap. So I do think that those are the three teams that I would, I would be intrigued. Houston is really interesting Mm -hmm. uh, because they seem, they seem eager to, to not be in their rebuild mode uh, Uh after this season. They seem, they're, they're very far off from that. I, I still disagree with the fact that they want to be a play, try to be a playoff team next year. Like they just don't seem like they're in a position to do that. Obviously, they have tons of cap space. They're looking to hire a new coach, so maybe that changes. But I, I think if the Harden situation dissipates for Houston, I could, I could see Houston, uh, Houston being a destination for Trey Young. That's very interesting. Yeah. I like the Orlando fit. I had mentioned that earlier as well. I think Orlando is an interesting option because of what they're building there, nucleus wise, but also. It's taken the ball out of Paolo Bencaro and Franz Wagner's hands 
a lot if you bring Trey Young in there. And yep. that's what I question moving I forward. I agree. We'll see, man. We'll see. Trey is a very, very interesting situation. It seems like a player. You know, you know who I would be interested in for hmm. Trey? Uh Toronto. I really I, do, I, do you what do you think that they would realistically offer for Trey that they would be willing no to idea. part with? You don't I don't know. even okay. I don't even know. I have no idea what it would be. May there's 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 a world where I could see the Raptors saying, Hey, Pascal Siakam is one year left on his deal. Um, you know, maybe maybe the Hawks like Pascal. Um, uh, and maybe they're like, okay, so we'll we'll trade Pascal. Maybe we'll trade we'll do a sign and trade and we'll add something else or maybe some multiple picks. We'll okay. get Trey Young. And now we're building around Trey Young and Scotty Barnes. And like okay. that's that's the nucleus we're building around. Again, I that brings into question the whole ball handling, off ball movement, defense thing, because it just there's so many fit questions there. Uh, but I could see it. I could yeah. see it. I could see Toronto being a big player for for a lot of stars that might be asking out because again, I'm I've mentioned this before. We talked about it on the podcast, but they seem like they want to compete. Yeah. They seem like they want to be a playoff team. And I could see them being at least desperate enough to get involved in conversations for Damian Lillard. For yeah, Trey, I think Dame, right? Dame, yeah. I think is is real is, is one to keep an eye on for that. That yeah. makes a lot of sense to me. Okay, let's talk about the Clippers uh, yes. really quickly before we get out of here. The Clippers are in a like it's just it's so hard to to even digest because you know we're four years into this Kawhi Leonard and Paul George tenure. Okay, in Los Angeles, they've made it to one Western Conference Finals. Uh, no NBA Finals runs, couple of second round exits, and now a first round exit because Kawhi Leonard is hurt again. No Paul George. It's the same story over and over again. And mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen, you know what they say: insanity is whatever, whatever, whatever. I just I wonder how many more times they can reconcile. Keep kicking the can down the road. Keep trying. How many more times are they going to say? Hey, we're gonna we're gonna keep trying this thing. Kawhi and Paul George, they're gonna be healthy. I just I have that question. Are they gonna keep Ty Lu after this summer? Ty Lu, by the way, there's been you know conversations around the league that he might be gone. He obviously had that thing saying that, you know, I I had multiple deaths in my family and the Clippers didn't let me <laughs> leave, essentially. Yeah. I think that that probably puts a strain on their relationship. So I'm questioning coaching wise, what's gonna happen there? Player-wise, what's going to happen there? They have tons of depth, tons of players, sort of like the Hawks in a lot of ways that like people would be interested in. I bet right. people would be interested in Norm Powell, Trey Mann, uh, literally any of their like young, maybe Bones Highland, right? So people, people would be interested in these types of players. Mm-hmm. So my question to them is, what? How do you move? Do you end up moving a Paul George? Do you say let's try something new? Let's try something more sustainable? Do they re-sign Russell Westbrook? Do they? Uh, keep Ty Lu. What is going to happen to these Clippers? Oh boy, I do want to start with Russell Westbrook because I was having this conversation the other day, and I do think that they will resign him. I think that they they've seen enough. Yeah. What that number will be, how many years it will be, I'm very interested. As of right now, my gut says two years. I'm not even going to put a dollar amount on it, but do I, it. Do okay, it. I'm going to say I think it is going to be two two. For anywhere between thirty and forty, I do think that he's going to get. So like I think a twenty million, twenty million. I think he's going to get like a. I think he's going to get between. I think I want to say twelve and seventeen a year. I'll put it. <laughs> I'll put it there. I think oh. he's going to get between between tw- two. I think it'll be two years. No, yeah, I don't think it'll be yeah. one. I don't think it'll be three. I think it'll be two years. 
And I think it'll be somewhere between 10 and 20 million, but not 10 and not 20. So I think it'll be 12 to 17 is where I'll, I'll put it. Man, what a wild. Cause like, Hey, look, Russell Westbrook was making $44 million this year. He got bought out and you know, he was, he signed Big question a mark. better minimum on for the Clippers. And now he might be recouping his value on up I to $20 million dollars a year. Yeah. And I, I like it. It's hard for me to see 20 million. I think that that's a little risky, but I do think that there will be stipulations option. I think yeah. it'll, I think that's where it'll get, you know, sorted out. Anyway, moving on from Russell Westbrook, I, I don't know what's going to happen with Ty Lue. I cannot pretend to know the ins and outs of that situation. Uh, but it, to me, if it's up to the Clippers organization, that is not, to me, Ty Lue is not the problem. Moving on from Ty Lue is not the answer to your problems. Um, and I, I also don't know that they're, they're willing to move on from Paul George and Kawhi. I think they really do think that that, that nucleus, those two, if they're healthy, I think that they believe that they can win the whole thing and, and believe that, that that time will come where they are healthy. And so that is very difficult for me to try and like, is that really, do you really think that that's going to work? And and I don't know yeah. that it is because you have to, you have to hope that they're healthy, but then you have to hope that the rest of your roster is all also healthy and, and that the rest of the league, like it's got to all work out perfectly. And that's a lot to ask to have go in your favor. And so then you kind of look at the Terrence man, even Eric Gordon, uh, Norm Powell is, is probably the biggest one. Do you try and go out and get a third guy? Can you oh, even God, get a third again. guy? Can you try and even get a third guy? And I don't, <laughs> or maybe they think Russell Westbrook is that third guy beats me, yeah, but yeah. I don't know that right now, if you repeat this formula, I just think we have seen it time and time again, that it's not mm-hmm. going to work. It's not going to work. You're, you're, you're hoping for too much. And Ty Lue said earlier, this is what we've been saving up for. And I said I was one of the first to say it right after the trade deadline that I loved all the moves that they made and that I think they're yeah. in a really good spot. But with how this has gone so early on in the playoffs, it's very difficult for me to see another year older down the line. Even if you move out of the first round, okay, does this happen in the second? Like it's a long marathon, the NBA playoffs. And so I do think that there should be conversations about moving Paul George, but I it's hard for me to see that happening in the next four months between now and so- then. And- yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Uh, it's hard the, for me to see that. The, the two factors I have when I'm keeping in mind the Los Angeles Clippers are two things. Mm-hmm. One thing is Steve Ballmer uh, <laughs> yes. and his unrelenting need to win. Uh, he has stated it. He had this – there was this clip that went around in February or March or whatever. He was at a news conference. I don't know what it was for. But he said, we are not in the business of rebuilding. <laughs> We are in the business of retooling, reshaping, yes. remorphing, right? So I highly doubt that they press the complete reset on this. Yeah. I, I, I doubt it. I doubt they say, let's just trade Kawhi, let's trade PG, let's start all over. I highly doubt that happens. And then I also think they have that stadium opening up, Intuit Dome. I think it's called Intuit Dome. Intuit, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's going to be opening up in Inglewood, California. And I believe it opens up not next season, the season after that in 2024. And for your fans, for the people that you are asking to pile in and travel to Inglewood to come and watch these games, are you going to be selling them on the idea of coming and watch a rebuilding team? A team that includes, oh, hey, Russell Westbrook plus you know, the, <laughs> all these young guys. Are, is that where you're selling to them? Or are you going to say Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, these guys, come and watch them. Inglewood, entertainment, sports <laughs> complex. Yes, come hang out. I think... Business-wise, 
There is no way Steve Ballmer blows this up. Absolutely no way. And it and it definitely doesn't happen if it includes, you know, not getting another star to replace and to show as marketing for whatever they want to use ticket-wise because they need to get fans in that arena and fans to come into that arena. Keep in mind, this is a whole new ball game for the Clippers now. They've been sharing an arena for with, with the Lakers for, you know, a very long amount of time. I can't remember exactly how long, but it's been a very to- very long amount of time that they've been sharing an arena. And now they're on their own. They're 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 separating from Big Brother, right? All of the marketing tools, all of the the location, forcing people to come to a different location. That's going to be hard to sell if you don't have those stars there. So my thing is, I doubt it. Yeah, I doubt they do anything drastic. I doubt they do anything crazy at all, um, because I think money wise, revenue wise, they want to run it back and they want to be in good shape when they open up that arena. So that's yeah. what I feel. Yeah, I, I think that mentioning the business side of it is definitely uh, probably going to be the primary factor in terms of what how how drastic they're willing to make any sort of changes. And, and right now, again, you look at the current landscape of the league and who's available, and I don't know that going out, because I'm looking at it now, and it looks like they only have two tradable first-round picks with the 2023 this year. That's Milwaukee's pick and their 2028 pick. Um that's that that's their own pick they everything else i don't believe is available to move maybe that 2025 okc holding the rights to swap pick maybe they can move that but they don't have a whole lot to work with and so you're looking at the current landscape of the league and is it if you're combining those picks and then maybe a terrence Mann who for years now has been if you talk to clippers media people clippers fans whatever we're not moving terrence Mann. um what really is out there for you to go get. So I think that that's going to present a huge hurdle for the Clippers in terms of trying to make a a significant addition. Um, You know, uh, if if I'm the Clippers, honestly, someone I would try and hold out for and wait for that, I guess, whole thing to come crashing down is DeMar DeRozan. I think going out and getting somebody that could be available and that... Well, also a guy who's healthy. Like, Yes, exactly. Let's keep in mind, one of the main selling factors for Russ is that he's never hurt. The man is never injured. The man plays a considerable amount of his games literally every season. So you can rely on that. And I think that's a big factor moving forward into the season. That's why I agree with you. I think they will re-sign him because he's healthy. He's a healthy guy. Yeah. Um, And I I mean, DeMar is also like that. DeMar is also a guy who doesn't miss a ton of games. And and then on one hand, okay, floor spacing. DeMar DeRozan, Russ, how does that look? Big question. But again, when you're looking at the Clippers and their current situation, they don't have – I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say that they have their pick of the bunch. As guys yeah. come available. They don't have the best package. So I don't necessarily think that they're going to be able to really make a, a just game-changing addition un, until they decide to potentially part with maybe Paul George. And, and like you mentioned, for all the reasons you mentioned, I don't see that being a possibility in the near future. We will see, ladies and gentlemen. We will see. It's going to be, I mean, as as entertaining as and as awesome as these NBA playoffs has been, the offseason, as always, is our bread and butter here at the Objective Basketball Podcast. We love to talk about the offseason transactional stuff, who's moving where, what's happening, who's signing, who's drafting, all of the things above. Um, it will be an entertaining offseason as it is a great NBA playoffs right now. We will see what happens in the because because let's keep in mind, Messiah Jerry also said this. He's like, you know, at the trade deadline, 
everybody thinks they can win. There's there's like 20, 25 teams who think they can compete for a playoff spot. There's 10 teams that think they can win an NBA championship. And there's five who are like surefire think they can win an NBA championship. At the end of the season, there's 29 losers. 29 teams who are like, okay, what the hell are we going to do now? How are we going to fix? What are we going to do to improve? And that makes it an insane race. A, a, a race, everybody is kind of flustered thinking, okay, what do we do now? How do we improve? How do we fix on things? Looking at the Clippers, looking at the Hawks, looking at the Nets, looking at the Blazers, as we've done in this podcast, a lot of these teams are going to be looking in the summer to see how they can refine, retweet, retweet, re, <laughs> to retune their roster to make it make sense so that, that they can compete next season. We will see what happens. But as always, we appreciate you guys for tapping in to the Objective Basketball Podcast with Lauren and I. As always, do the liking, subscribing, everything you guys do, and we will see you guys later. Take care. Follow House at Just S. Barahini on all socials and at The Lauren Gun on Twitter. The Objective Basketball Podcast. Delivering the NBA to you like no other.